Let's turn then to Daniel chapter 6. I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, to turn it to Daniel 6. Um, if not, the words should hopefully appear on the screen. This is God's word. It pleased Darius, that's the new king, if you remember from the end of last week. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three chief ministers over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these chief ministers and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal ministers, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed, and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sunset to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave this order, he gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. 
When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Amen. Do you want to know something? I'm getting too old for this. You know, you might only have met me a few weeks ago, but a lot of time passed through the chapters that you've read. Back at the start, I was just a teenager, just a boy, really, forced to go along to the King's University of Babylon to be indoctrinated by their strange ways and beliefs. Now, and if you want, you can go away and look through your history books if you really want and add up all the years of the kings that have been in the time since. You can do the maths. Now, I'm in my 80s. People don't think of the old culture thrown into the lion's den when they think of this story. Now, a lot has changed since those early days. Kings have come and gone. If you'd been here a few years ago, I would have had to call myself Belteshazzar because that's what the Babylonians called me. But now the Persians are in charge. I don't have to use that name anymore. I can be Daniel again. I've lived through very, very strange days. But actually, I think that means it's that I'm here today because you, you're the COVID generation. You know something of what I've gone through, actually. You know what it is for a leader to issue a decree, sort of. And then as a result of that, you can't go and, and see your family. You know what it is to be restricted in your movement, in your activity. You know what it is, maybe some of you, to lose a loved one and not be able to give them the send-off that you would have wanted. You know what it is for plans of events and weddings and family gatherings just to be thrown up into the air in the blink of an eye with no certainty about the future. I know something about all those things too. Now, I'm not from the COVID generation. I knew nothing about that. But I'm from the exile generation. I was just a boy when they came. We'd heard rumors about them, about countries and nations they had gone into and they had decimated and plundered. And those of us who feared God, we prayed 
that it wouldn't happen to us. But we sort of knew. God had warned us. He'd sent us prophets telling us that if we didn't change our ways, we would also be carried into exile. But most people didn't listen. They didn't pay any attention to God. So we were carried into exile. It was terrifying. I saw things that no young boy should see. Men, women, children, killed before my eyes. It was gruesome. And those of us that were left, we were captured and carried off to Babylon. It seemed like life just changed, just like that. Life was different, routine was different, everything was different. I think you all know something about that. And one of the worst things on top of all that is that as God's people, we weren't able to gather together to worship together. We weren't able to go up to the temple and worship God. Now, you could do something at home, and I'm not saying anything against that, but it wasn't quite the same, was it? But now we can worship together. Well, sort of. Did you see what Darius said at the end of what you read a few moments ago? King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. It's good, isn't it, to be back together, worshiping? But it's not quite the same. We're not quite back in the temple. We can't really worship and have that temple community that we would once have had. You guys, you're here, but you can't sit together. You can't really share together in the community that you once did. It's so much better than it was a few months ago, but it's still hard. I think we understand one another, don't we? We have the same problems, even though we come from very different places. And I think at the root of our problems is this. As God's people, we live in a strange world. We live in a world that isn't really our home. We look for something better. But for now, we live in this world where we're surrounded by people who don't know God. I faced that my whole life. I faced it right back at the start of exile when they wanted me to eat pork from the king's table and, and I knew I shouldn't do it. And then when I graduated from their university, even though they knew that I had a God-given gift to interpret dreams, well, they didn't take me in with them to see Nebuchadnezzar when he'd had that dream about the statue. And it was only by the grace of God that when I spoke, off, spoke up when I was being taken off to be executed, that the king allowed me to interpret the dream. They called me the Jewish exile, never a Babylonian. I was never one of them in their eyes. I've always faced opposition. After I interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's vision of the tree, Belshazzar came to the throne and he didn't want anything to do with me or my God. Did you notice in what you read last week that after they'd all tried to interpret the writing on the wall, then the queen mother sent for me because I wasn't there. I was sidelined because of my faith. Maybe you know the feeling. Well, if I'd forgotten the feeling, let me tell you, I've just been reminded of it. Darius came to the throne. You might remember reading that last week. After the writing on the wall, the downfall of Belshazzar. And things were looking good for me again. You know, he did things a bit differently. Babylon was so big and so powerful that there were 120 satraps ruling over the kingdom 
Maybe they're a bit like your MPs, although to be fair, they probably had a bit more power because they could issue their own laws. And then over them, he set three chief ministers, maybe your prime minister, chancellor, and home secretary, I don't know. But I was one of those three. Now, I didn't get to that position by political maneuvering, by spin, but through nothing but sheer hard work and honesty and integrity, all of which was inspired by and blessed by God. Darius said to me that he was going to set me up over the whole kingdom, maybe like a president or that kind of figure. But some people hated me. They hated my guts. They didn't like these God people who were still around, one of those exiles from Judah being in such a high position. I knew they were up to something. Do you know when you can sense it? I knew they were talking about me. I found out they'd gone out after work one day and, and they'd had food together and they hadn't invited me. It didn't really bother me. I've been used to that all my life. Being the only gone follower there puts you into that position sometimes. But this particular time, they were fueled by jealousy. Darius planned to promote me, as you know, and, and they didn't like it. So it turned nasty. They wanted me out. So they tried to dig up some dirt on me, but they couldn't find any. So they did something really sinister. Well, sinister and, to be fair to them, quite clever, I suppose. They knew that I wouldn't compromise on being a follower of God. Too many of my ancestors had fallen into that trap. That's why we were in exile in the first place. So I wasn't going to compromise. God has done so much for me in my life. I wouldn't want to let him down. I'm not perfect, but I wanted to serve him. So they went behind my back and flattered him. You know, I like Darius. I like him a lot, more than the previous kings. But he is one gullible man. Appeal to his ego and you'll get whatever you want. May King Darius live forever. I could just hear them say it. They appealed to his ego. They got him to think very highly of himself and convinced him to ban prayer to anyone else but him. Now, if he'd stopped to think about it, even for a microsecond, he wouldn't have done it. But he was so caught up in his own self-importance, he thought he really was like a god, and he issued the decree. And in his culture, where he comes from, well, when the king puts something like that in writing, it can't be undone. So I had to choose between my god and my king. Maybe you've had a situation like that in a conversation at home or at work or somewhere else where others around you are saying or doing things that you know you shouldn't really be involved with. Well, that's where I find myself, but to the extreme. Loyalty to God rather than the king was going to lead to execution by hungry lions. But whatever it is that you or I face, I think there is a deeper issue at play here. Those guys were jealous of me. Maybe the people who oppose you do so for some reason on the surface. But there's a deeper issue, because as God's people, we will, face, we will face hostility precisely because we are God's people. And the ultimate source of that opposition is the devil. Hundreds of years after my life, Peter wrote this, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. I don't appreciate Peter's metaphor of the lion, but I think he's right. 
following our God, discipleship, whatever word you want to use, it's a tough calling. And we can often find ourselves isolated too. When you heard my story earlier on in the service, did you notice that three times that it says my enemies went around as a group? They went to the king twice as a group. They came to spy on me once as a group. And often when you stand up for God, you can feel like you're alone, like you're the only one. Now, I stood up for my faith, and I don't mean to boast in saying that. I'm not really sure how I did it. In fact, because I knew I couldn't do it alone, that's one of the reasons why I went home to pray and kept praying. Sometimes people ask me, how did you do it? How did you stand up for God? They say, wow, you're so brave. (laughs) Tell us your secret. I've heard about your song, Dare to Be a Daniel. (laughs) I'm not sure how I feel about that. I want to tell you today that I'm a very ordinary man who does very ordinary things. I'm not a grandstander. Even through what you've read, that should be obvious. Think about it. At the start of my story, I was asked to eat meat from the king's table. Now, I got friendly with Ashpenaz, who was in charge, so I asked him, chapter 1, verse 8, I asked him permission not to defile myself in that way. I didn't make a song and dance about it. I asked him for a 10-day trial of eating only vegetables, and he agreed. Then through the rest of my story, which has only taken you a couple of weeks, but has been a lifetime of mine, I haven't really taken a big stand for my faith. I haven't been put into this kind of position until now. I've interpreted a few dreams and visions, and I'm glad to use my God-given ability to do that. My three friends, who you know, well, they were trusted in this way when Nebuchadnezzar had the big furnace. But that had nothing to do with me. I've just been an ordinary Israelite serving in the government. And even in this case, When my colleagues went to the king and got this decree written, I didn't make a song and dance about it. Maybe I should have, maybe I should have challenged the king to his face. But I decided to do this instead. I just keep going on the same way as before. I didn't go in and argue with the king because I don't actually have a death wish. But at the same time, I wasn't going to hide the love I have for God. When I went upstairs to my room to pray, I gave thanks. I didn't close the window. I didn't close the window shutters. I obey the law of the Lord, not the law of Darius. But I didn't do anything exceptional. I want you to know that. How did I stand up for my faith? Well, it's been a long haul, a long haul of doing very ordinary things, I think. Now, I pray every day three times. And again, I don't say that to boast. I'm not saying that I'm an expert at prayer by anyone's standards, but if I, I find if I don't do it in that kind of regimented way, then I won't do it at all. So that, that works for me. Some people are much more relaxed about it and still pray plenty. Good for them. We should all work out what works for us because prayer is so important. Now I turn towards Jerusalem to pray. I find it helped me to focus and help lift my heart and my mind to worship God to thank him for his faithfulness in the past, to to pray for restoration of that place in the future. But but of course you can face whatever way you want. I get down on my knees three times a day to pray. It's my habit, it's nothing spectacular, but it's how I live out my faith. It's a quiet but consistent way that I've witnessed to God throughout my whole life in Babylon. And when things got tough, 
I simply carried on doing what I had always done. My mind and my heart remained in Jerusalem, but I've witnessed to God throughout my life in Babylon. If you're thinking to yourself, well, how on earth am I meant to stand up for my faith? What if I'm faced with something like this when my faith is really tested? What do I have to do in those moments? Can I prepare for a moment like that? Well, I think the answer is yes, you can. And the way you do it isn't dramatic. It's nothing special that only really spiritual people can do. It's the simple stuff. It's prayer, not just in the tough times, though that's important, but consistent, quiet, undramatic prayer. And anyone can pray. You know, some of my friends would say to me, well, Daniel, I find it hard to pray. Well, I just say, put your fingers in your ears and keep talking. Stop listening to what you're saying. Stop judging yourself for not praying well enough and just get on with it. Just get going. Most people find that when they do that, it comes more easily than they thought. If you can get a friend to pray with you, even better. Reading the scriptures is the same too. Sometimes it's hard. But that slow, steady reading builds you up over time. It was through the scriptures that I knew not to eat the pork when I was a lad. And it was the command, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Well, that's what sealed it with King Darius this time. You want to call me a hero of the faith? (laughs) I don't know about that. Anything I did in the strength of the Lord, but the way I did it, if you want to know how, simple, ordinary things. Hero of the faith? No, I, I think I'm more of a steady Eddie. Slow and steady wins the race. If you want to pray more or, or read the Bible more, remember that. Slow and steady, and God will build you up over time. You won't know everything the Bible has to teach tomorrow, and that's okay. But we know that God rules. We know that ultimately whatever happens in this life, he rules. He will save us in the end no matter what happens in between. So it's our job to live consistently in that knowledge, to be consistent in our love and service of him in the light of his rule. Simple things, but we need to keep doing them. Even Darius recognized this when he had me thrown to the lions. He said, may your God whom you serve continually save you. He said something similar when he was asking me if God had saved me the next morning. We do the simple things, but we persevere in them. We do them continually. We live consistently in the light of God's rule. Now, my actions were obviously a breach of the decree issued by the king. And my enemies, well, they knew where to find me because I didn't make a secret of it. I knew they might do that, but I knew it was important to stand firm to continue praying rather than to give in. So they reported me to the king, surprise, surprise. It was at this point that Darius realized his mistake. I was brought in, I could see that he was upset. He knew that he'd been tricked by these guys to only issue this decree just to get at me. And me and him, we got on. He thought of me as a friend as well as a subject in the kingdom. He really tried to save me. He ordered his servants to bring the decree to see if, what way it was worded exactly, to see if he could find a loophole, to see if he could get me off on technicality. But he couldn't. It was all in vain. I had to be thrown into the lion's den. 
the king prayed that my God would save me as I was cast into the darkness. Now what happened through that night, I can only describe as a work of God. I couldn't see much. It was dark, it was nighttime, and there was a stone rolled over the entrance to the lion's den. But through the darkness, I saw something. I can't really describe it. When I went into the den, I heard growling and roaring, but the next thing I knew, it was quiet. I saw this figure. It must have been an angel from God. I don't know. And the lions were quiet all night. And when the king came to me in the morning and the stone was rolled away, he called to me and I called back and told him what had happened. Now he said that the men who had accused me were guilty of a great crime of trying to kill me. And he had them and their families thrown into the lion's den. (laughs) I'm not sure I've processed that yet. Men, women and children thrown to the lions. But I do know this. It's sobering. It's sobering to think of how hungry those lions were, how the fate of those men and their families could have been mine. But my God saved me. (laughs) But something else amazing happened through that night. Something which, again, I can only describe as a work of God. But it didn't happen to me. No, it happened to the king. He didn't want any entertainment. And Darius likes his entertainment. He couldn't eat. He couldn't sleep. God was doing something in that man's heart. So when I got out of the den, he issued this decree that every part of his kingdom had to fear and revere my God. He said that he's the living God. He lives forever. He lives and he rescues and he saves. (laughs) Now I told you that I like Darius, but I never thought I'd hear him say that. The fact that God uses events like this to bring a man like him, a pagan king, to knowledge of the living God, (laughs) what a God. God worked his purpose out. He showed his faithfulness to his people. And had that faithfulness proclaimed to every nation under heaven through what happened to me, (laughs) praise his name. Now, this is quite a story. I'm not surprised you're still thinking about it two and a half thousand years later. Now, I'm glad that you don't live in a civilization controlled by a power-hungry king with a den of lions at his disposal. It makes you think, though, doesn't it? I meant what I said. I'm, I'm getting too old for this. But I've been thinking. Even though it was such an ordeal, even though the stress of being thrown into the lion's den was excruciating, something good came out of it. Obviously, I was saved. I'm pretty happy about that, I have to say. But something else good came out of it. Darius issued a decree that everyone should fear my God. And if you read the history books, you'll find that not long after these events, the exile actually ends. This is the beginning of the end. That decree is the beginning of the end of exile for God's people. He's brought purposes about through suffering. Glory has been given to him because of it. And you... Two and a half thousand years later. Well, you know something more about that than I do. Because you know someone who came, Jesus, and he faced opposition too, much more than I did. He came to his own people and was rejected. He came to save the world from sin and all that comes with it, from suffering, 
oppression, sickness, and death. But the world rejected him. Why would you reject somebody like that? It opposed him. It crucified him. But ultimately through that, God worked his purpose out. God used that event to bring glory to himself. He punished sin in Jesus on that cross. He defeated it when Christ rose from the grave. Do you know, I'm beginning to wonder sometimes if God has a sense of humor. Now, I'm not Jesus and far, far from it. But I've noticed some similarities between me and him. The people who opposed me, well, they could find no fault in me, just like him. I was sentenced to death by a man who didn't really want to sentence me to death, just like him. I was innocent and I suffered a great injustice, just like him. When I was sent to my death, a stone was placed over the cave where I was to keep my body inside, just like him. When the stone rolled away, I walked out of there alive, kind of like him. He rose never to die again. When I was in there, a great enemy was defeated. My enemies lost and were destroyed. His enemies are under his feet. I wonder as you follow him this morning, is there something in that? As you share in his suffering, you do so in the context that your outcome is secure, that the victory is won, and that at the end, you will follow him into glory. Now, I never lived to see this Jesus, but I had faith that God was going to send him, and that faith saved me and led me to glory. But you have an even stronger basis for your faith than me. As you look to the cross, you see the power that allows you to risk all for your faith. Jesus didn't just go into the lion's den and get out unscathed, but he died and rose again. Because of Jesus, death cannot hold you or me forever. God has given us victory through Jesus. So faith in him gives us the courage to risk everything for him. I prayed and I looked towards Jerusalem, towards that future hope. But you have seen that hope. You know him. So look to him. Be a steady Eddie, if you want to put it that way. Keep looking to him. Keep talking to him. Keep listening to him. The secret of standing up for your faith. Live consistently in the light of the victory he has won in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we give you thanks for your word and for all that you tell us and teach us through it. Thank you that even when circumstances look like they are stacked against us, you are in control. Thank you that when it's hard to live for you, we know that you're sovereign and you have a purpose and that because of what Jesus has done, we can know you're walking beside us in those times, no matter how they turn out on this earth. And we know that ultimately those things allow us to follow in his footsteps and lead us into the glory that we will share with him one day. And Father, we pray that you would help us as your people to spread the good news of what he has done to our friends, to our neighbors, to our work colleagues, and whoever you would place in our lives. Help us to see the purpose in the opposition that we sometimes face in living for you. And Lord, as we again hear of increased restrictions due to COVID and 
ever-increasing cases, it seems. Help us to live in the light of those in a way that shines a light for you into our homes and communities. May others see in us the hope we have that sustains us through times like this. Lord, would you be pleased to take and use whatever we have to offer you for your purposes and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.